Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell it like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. I want to thank you all so much for uh, tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast and also for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sonny D. All right, let's get into it. Uh, as I've said before, and if you've been following me on uh, Instagram, at the dude Sanity, of course, uh, you would know that I have been suffering from kind of an awkward, miserable, nasty cold slash flu uh, for the last week or so. Uh, I started. I noticed it start to come on. I think last Sunday, so not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, and Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, we went to Jess's aunt's place, and I was feeling just kind of off and it just got worse and worse and worse. And it's kind of a weird cold because once you get past the worst part of it, you're kind of stuck at this, you feel like 70% uh, of yourself. You know, you feel kind of stuck at 70%, which is kind of a weird number, I know. And the weird thing too about it that I found, at least for me, and, you know, having talked to other family members that have gone through it and uh, friends that have had it, uh, my buddy Nick had it, um, is it's like different things seem to be bugging you each day, if that makes sense. So you don't, uh, so in that 70%, it's not a consistent 70%. Some days your head's hurt, you know, everything feels right, but your head's hurting. The other days it's the throat, other, other days it's your nose, you're all congested. It's just an awkward, miserable, nasty uh, flu. I'd uh, talked to my grandfather about it, and he said, just nasty, it's, it's just dreadful. And, and this general malaise that you have, uh, and I've been feeling, so that's why I do apologize. We haven't had too many episodes uh, of the podcast. And I recorded one last week. I published it this morning. So uh, give it a listen. Uh, you know, I did record it while I was sick, but I think it's still a good episode. So anyway, uh, today's episode, we did have a, a federal election yesterday up here in Canada. And uh, we'll go over the results. We'll go over uh, some of the changes uh, just kind of a recap of the results in this episode. We had done this uh, for the last provincial election here in Manitoba, and I had done a predictions uh, episode, uh, being under the weather. I just, you know what, didn't have it in me to do a predictions episode, so hopefully we'll recap it today. Uh, I had predicted going into this, uh, so let's, I guess, get with the results, and then we can uh, discuss what we thought was going to happen, what did happen, all of that. So the Liberal Party, um, the incumbent party, led by none other than Justin Trudeau, uh, won uh, a minority government. So a minority government means you do not have 50% of the seats. Um, last time, uh, last election, they had won uh, 100 and I think it was 80 something, and then they lost a bunch, um, or just people kind of left the party. Let's see here. Uh, if I can find it for all of you. Yeah, so last time, um, the election results last time had them winning uh, 184 seats, but after dissolution, they were down to 177, uh, so they'd lost seven seats. Uh, nonetheless, they were a majority last time. This time, they are a minority, and as I've said, majority just means you control 50, more than 50% of all the seats in parliament. Minority, they do not this time. Typically, it's, I mean, last time though, when the Liberals won, they did overthrow a majority government. Um, usually, the transition 
of governments that you would see. Typically, if you're going from a majority government, goes majority, minority, then minority for the other party, and then they have their kind of governing rule. Uh, and that's kind of what happened last time with the Liberals and the Conservatives when the Conservatives had taken over from the Liberals, uh, led by Paul Martin, who had inherited the party from Jean Chrétien, who was a longtime prime minister up here in Canada. Uh, that was what happened. Many people thought um, the the PC or the Conservatives, not PCs, federally it's just the Conservatives. Uh, they were an amalgamation of two parties. Um, it was the uh, Canadian Alliance, I think, at the time. And the progressive conservatives, they formed together to form the conservative party. And uh, they felt they were splitting too many votes. So they aligned. Uh, that way they could uh, take on the, uh, what would it be, the uh, liberals at the time. So nonetheless, the liberals have formed a minority government. And it's a much closer government than it was last time. So uh, going into the election, I mean, after uh, dissolution and all of that, uh, they had 177 to the 95, um, which would have been the opposition conservatives. This time around, they've won 157 seats to the conservative 121 seats. Um, the conservatives were the biggest gainers on the night, picking up 26 seats. Wasn't enough to get the job done. Uh, however, they did win the popular vote. Um, by over a full percent, um, getting 6.155% uh, uh, 6.155 million votes uh, for 34.4% of the popular vote to the, compared to the 5.9 million or 33.1% of the Liberals. So a similar trend there as we saw last time with the uh, Democrats down the states where they kept saying that Hillary had won the popular vote. So there we go. Winning the popular vote does not guarantee you much. Um, and it does not guarantee you a win because, and I've talked about this, especially in Canada. So in Canada, as opposed to the States, uh, the leader isn't independent of a party. So you can have a, rep um, a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and a Democrat uh, as president or vice versa. In Canada, the leader of the party with the most seats becomes the prime minister. The only, I mean, the only times you'd have an issue would be if there was a coalition government formed. The last time there was truly any coalition talk would have been when uh, Stephen Harper won a majority government um, back in 2011, 20, yeah, 2011. Uh, it was when he won. I think it was, or maybe it was a twenty ten. Regardless, twenty eleven. Let's say he uh, had won a majority government. Then there was some talk because the Liberals got just absolutely decimated. Um, I believe the NDP were actually the official opposition at that point uh, by their uh, under their leader uh, Jack Layton. The late Jack Layton was their leader. Uh, then when he passed away, Thomas Mulcair had taken over the leadership. Uh, was leader last election and and lost and uh, lost pretty badly. Uh, so Jagmeet Singh was the new leader of the uh, NDP. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, yes, these are the results that we have now. So let's talk about some of the things that happened, um, just some things that we can look forward to and things to pay attention to in the coming weeks. As I've said, the big things always start at the leaders. Uh, and there's no specific order to what we're talking about here today, just covering the whole kind of gamut of my assessment of the election. Typically to beat, I mean, it's like anything to beat the champ. You have to beat the champ. Uh, now it turns out turnout was less than it was last time around, which was interesting. Lower turnout 
typically means the status quo is going to stay in place, which is kind of what we've seen here. Whilst they lost a number of seats, they also, um, pardon me, they also still formed government. So the liberals are going to form government. Coalition talk, I don't think we're going to see it because the conservatives would have to align with some parties where their kind of party principles and uh, beliefs aren't exactly in line. There, You'd have a right-wing party aligning with two left-wing parties. When it would have won when Harper had formed um, the majority is because the liberals and NDP uh, were both left-leaning parties. And that's why there was talk of forming a coalition to form a stronger uh, opposition uh, to uh, Harper. But again, he had a majority anyway. In this case, I think we're just going to see a liberal minority uh, which, I mean, it depends where you fit in on, I mean, the political spectrum, the economic spectrum. There's many things that decide what is best for you. And remember, too, it looked, you have to look at kind of your overall and big picture situation. Sometimes something that benefits you now might not benefit you in the future. And I'd done an episode about this a while ago, you know, that idea of stepping over dollars to pick up dimes. Now, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, you know, you know, crapping on the liberal win last night. Not at all. Um, it's just sometimes people have to think, right? And, and, and we get swayed in our vote either way, right? It, you know, you, it might be in your best interest in the long run to maybe vote liberal, but, you know, you might have family that says, ah, you know what, vote conservative, whatever it might be, or vice versa, right? It's better to vote conservative long run in the short run, maybe liberal. So we have to kind of look at big picture. We have to look at where we project. All of these things kind of have to shape our vote and voting i mean that's kind of what makes voting a little more um complicated than it really is and in turn shapes elections so in this one here we saw basically an indictment of of, of the leaders in a way is what this federal election in my opinion was um in that people there was change willing to happen the voting populace appeared wanting change. Liberals, again, lost 20 seats. Uh, the NDP lost 15 seats. Between them, that was 35 seats they lost. Uh, Maxime Bernier uh, lost his seats. He was the leader of this uh, new People's Party um, of Canada. They didn't win a single seat. Uh, the Green Party picked up a seat. Uh, they also went up in the popular vote. Um, but the Bloc Québécois where I think one of the biggest surprises is they chipped away at the liberal strength in Quebec uh, under their leader. Now, I had briefly seen him speak in one of the debates. I was very impressed with him as a speaker, um, as, a uh, as a debater. He was very, very good, very polished. Uh, so I can see, you know, and as such, they picked up momentum. The whole thing is this. For the Bloc Québécois aren't really necessarily in a position to form government. Therefore, it's... When they pick up seats like that, the other parties that would be looking to pick up uh, form government, that's where they need to win in their strongest possible places. And uh, in turn, maybe if you're a conservative follower, you look at this and say, well, this was an, uh, a missed opportunity by the conservatives. I would be willing to agree there. I think there was a lot of opportunity for the conservatives to form government in this election. I think there was a lot of people that were dissatisfied with some of uh, Justin Trudeau's um, policies, uh, some of the thing, measures he had put in place, punishing you know uh, upper class families, upper class er, um, those top earners, 
Uh, there, there was an opportunity there. And, and, and while I said, you know, and there are other beliefs, uh, you know, that say, you know what, you do have to stick up for lower earners, lower income Canadians. And I, and I'm, and I do believe that as well. I'm not sitting here preaching, you know, from the right wing or any of that. I'm just saying, you know, whichever one it was, if you look at the governing party, that's where you look for dissatisfaction. You can't look at necessarily, oh, well, we're upset with the opposition. You're not electing an opposition. You're trying to elect your government. Um, so there was opportunity there and there was the, the air of change, so to speak. And I think this is where kind of getting into this next point, you have to look at leadership. And I said this after the provincial election as well, always in the weeks and days to follow the most interesting storyline is the leaders. What moves are the leaders going to make? Are they going to, uh, are they going to stay on as leader? Are they going to, is the party going to allow them to stay on as leader? Is the party going to ask for their resignation? Is the party going to call an inquiry? Is the party going to challenge the leadership? All of these things can happen. And it's an interesting thing because when you look at it, I mean, you're not going to challenge Trudeau's leadership. If you're the liberals, you formed government. So that's fine. So leaving the liberals aside, they got the job done. They, um, despite everything, despite, um, the surge by the block in Quebec, um, Jagmeet Singh did very well in the leadership debates. Um, very charismatic guy, um, very intelligent, very well spoken. Uh, a lot of people, um, you know, right there could have seen, okay, maybe Jagmeet could, uh, come across and form government. However, none of them did. Justin Trudeau held on. So now you have to look at the leadership amongst the other parties. So I think Yves-Francois Blanchet, uh, leader of the Bloc Québécois, he's fine. He's done his job. He did a great job there. The block seats went up. Boom. But in three interesting cases here, uh, we'll look at Maxime Bernier, Jagmeet Singh, and Andrew Scheer, and some possibilities there surrounding their futures as the leaders of their respective parties. Uh, Maxime Bernier, starting with the People's Party, I don't know where the People's Party kind of goes from here. Without seats... Without that major presence in Parliament, um, you know, many people, you know, th there was some thoughts, some talk about what their motives were, uh, were they put there, you know, was it a conservative ploy? A lot of things like that, you know, a lot of people thought maybe this was a conservative antic to have this People's Party kind of form. I believe Maxime Bernier um, ran for the leadership of the conservative party. Um, the People's Party is a right-leaning party. Um, a lot of their candidates were either uh, Stephen Fletcher here in Winnipeg, former conservative um, MP, former progressive conservative MLA. So things like that, um, a lot of people thought, they're going to be ones to see what happens. Do they fold up shop? Can they regroup? Do they regroup? Or do they kind of go back into the conservative fold? Time will tell. Timing could be very interesting on this. Um, especially, I mean, with those rumors and, and, you know, that talk of where they fit in with the conservative party, it'll be interesting. You know, you don't want to jump right back into the conservative mix, you know, the next day, then boy, does that kind of look fishy, right? And appearances are everything. So we'll see there. I don't know what to expect from this people's party. They were a hard one for, to follow this election. I found for myself, I never really thought they had much of a chance of forming government. You know, the roads to victory didn't seem very clear. But regardless, uh, I mean, 
I, I just I could see them folding up shop and them all going their way. Uh, when you look at, I mean, Stephen Fletcher was one of their superstar candidates here in Winnipeg. I, I don't. I think he came in fourth in his respective riding. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. So, you know, you you look at these kind of things. I don't know where they go from here, but I think they're kind of a lost cause, and and I don't know if we're going to be hearing too much from them in the upcoming future uh, regarding you know what's you know making a real political push here. Um, now, with that being said, you do kind of want to start planting seeds early. Election is going to be in about four years away, maybe sooner, uh, with a minority government. I think it was the Conservatives held a couple of very um, closely timed elections. It would be interesting to see here if Justin Trudeau employs a similar strategy um, as we kind of segue into talking about the conservative leadership and Andrew Scheer. If there is some tension now at the top with the conservatives and the conservatives feel that, you know what, we won the popular vote, seems like the other parties did what they needed to do to help us win, it... uh, we needed to get the job done. Do they now challenge Andrew Shear's leadership a little bit? Do they say we might need a stronger character or, the, or a stronger presence up front could get it done? If there are tensions, if there are um, any kind of swaying from that, any lack of confidence in that conservative leadership, watch and see what Justin Trudeau does. And if he does call a quick election, um, again, to try and form... Uh, a majority government. I, now, I th- under um, Krejci, I believe it was always majority governments, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I was a, I was a young kid back then, uh, but regardless, that would be an interesting strategy. It was one I be- that Stephen Harper had done to pull seats away from Paul Martin and the Liberals. He kept uh, he'd called a couple of quick elections to take some seats. Uh, and then, I mean, Justin Trudeau did a smart thing. I think what happened in the last time, in 2015, Harper had taken his foot off the gas. Uh, and I think the machine was just running. The machine was kind of in cruise control. And I think he didn't expect the liberals that had gotten decimated. I mean, albeit with a very charismatic leader now in 2015 with Justin Trudeau. I don't think he expected, and I don't think the conservative machine expected what took place um, in that you had a situation there where Justin Trudeau, I mean, attacked, 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 appealed to the middle class, appealed to kind of middle Canada. Um, that was who he was going to champion. He was going to champion the middle class. He was going to champion the lower income Canadians. That was what he was going to do. And I think because we had seen so much conservative government, we had seen Harper around for so long there was this kind of aura of, oh, maybe we do need some change. Maybe we do need this, you know, handsome, young, charismatic prime minister. And, I mean, to go from majority one way to majority another means that's a big fucking change. And it was a huge change. Um, more so than if we had seen a liberal, I mean, a conservative majority this time wouldn't have been as big a change. Um, the, the liberals were destroyed in the previous election prior to 2015. So it'll be interesting to see now how this happens again. You know, if you, if you have some dissension again, um, some dissolution again, I mean, if the conservatives, if the, I mean, if Trudeau loses another seven seats, for instance, again, 
That puts him down to 150. Let's say the conservatives pick up a couple of seats. I don't know. But again, you're now up to that 130, 150 range. It's a neck and neck race going into it. The problem I have generally with leaderships is we're always so quick to toss the leader under the bus. I think the leaders get an unfair shake a little bit. Now, there is a pressure, and don't get me wrong, there is a pressure to being the leader. You're saying, I can get the job done. Andrew Scheer confidently felt he could get the job done. He felt that Canadians needed a conservative government, um, that you know the Trudeau era had to come to an end. He was going to be the guy. The Liberals, I mean, they played defense. They felt, and I, I, you know, when you listened last night to the broadcasts, and you know some of the powers that be in the Liberal Party talk, the big thing was they felt there was another majority to be had. And I mean, 157 out of the 170 needed for majority is quite close, very close. Um, and to me, again, that says a lot of things when you look at okay. You know, we can do enough to defend seats. And when I look at even Winnipeg here, there was um, three big ones uh, that were kind of up for it. There was Terry Duguid in Winnipeg, or I think it's that's how his name's pronounced, Duguid. It's uh, D-U-G-U-I-D, I think is his last name. Uh, so I don't know if it's Duguid, Duguid, I'm not sure. Duguid, I'm not sure. But Terry Duguid, let's call him that. Um, he won. He held on to his seat in Winnipeg South. What was interesting about that is it was a long-time liberal seat um, under Reg Alcock. Reg Alcock then lost it to Rod Bernouge. Um, and that was, it was actually a bit of a shocker, but it wasn't at the same time because, I, I mean, Harper was gaining momentum, the Conservatives were gaining momentum, and Rod Bernouge put in the groundwork. He was campaigning day and night, knocking every door in the riding. And federal ridings are much bigger than provincial, let alone uh, city uh, ridings. So, well, yeah, especially provincial. Like I, I would say especially provincial provincial. I think pound for pound probably has the biggest, uh, might even have the smallest when you look at what they have to cover. But anyway, federal ridings are huge. Uh, Rob Renouge covered that and Reg Alcock kind of had this, um, I believe, uh, sadly Reg Alcock has passed away. So it's the late Reg Alcock, but nonetheless, Reg Alcock, uh, was the longtime incumbent, um, but was out helping other candidates. And was kind of guilty a little bit of, you know, overconfidence thinking, hey, we've got this one wrapped up. We got this one sewn up and Bernouche snuck in. So that was kind of an interesting riding in a sense because it was also a shift in momentum. Bernouche won it. The Conservatives have four government. I think Bernouche won his riding, Winnipeg South, the first year that uh, Harper had formed government. So some people look at it and some of the kind of analysts, so to speak, say that that's kind of one of those ones that dictates the election. Um, you can, t or you can kind of predict the election based on those patterns. I would say it was a very clear indicator as well. This time around, I paid attention to three Winnipeg ridings and said, yes, if they kind of go left, I can see how the election is going to shape up. Uh, so Terry Duguid won, uh, the Liberals won Winnipeg um, South. In Winnipeg South Center, it was an interesting race because you had the in incumbent Jim Carr against um, Joyce Bateman, who he had beaten in 2015, who had beaten the longtime Liberal MP Anita Neville. And uh, 
For better or worse, I don't know if this... It, it was an interesting indictment here of, of both of them because... Uh, Winnipeg South Central is one of the more affluent neighborhoods, probably the most affluent riding in uh, Manitoba. And so you'd ima- you you'd typically predict it would go conservative, especially when you had someone who they'd already previously elected. So you kind of wonder there, is this a little bit of a, maybe they wanted to go conservative, maybe George wasn't the right person. Maybe people were so satisfied with Jim Carr. And I mean, Jim Carr, I believe, has been a minister the entire time. So it's nice to kind of, so again, you want to know that your seat is being held by someone with a voice. That plays a factor as well. So now you have a situation where, Again, the incumbent is a cabinet minister. Um, Jim Carr is one of the more high-profile MPs in Justin Trudeau's caucus. So it was an interesting choice for the conservatives. And I mean, for Joyce Bateman to step up and run again. Uh, So again, that was an indicator there. Again, held by the liberals. So that's two seats there. Again, liberal seats had, you know, other way. Now that's 155 to 123. Another one was Daniel Blake out in um, the Transconish area. I think it was like Elmwood, Transcona would have been the uh, area. Daniel Blakey, who's an NDP and son of Bill Blakey, who's a former um, provincial politician, I believe, longtime MLA, ran against Lawrence Tate, who was the longtime, who was at one point the longtime uh, MP for that area, a conservative. He had stepped down, I believe, in 2015. I think that's what had happened there. And Blakey took over now with the popularity of his father. And he's not, and you know, with his popularity, it was kind of an interesting thing. If if Lawrence Tate could come back and win it back from Daniel Blakey, it would have, I think that would have been a very clear telling of that shift. And you would have seen momentum there, especially now. That would have been a 155 to 124 swing. So you start to look at these kind of situations there, especially considering the NDP lost some seats. So you kind of have to wonder now that, you know, there's shifts, right? So yes, the the, the liberals lost some seats overall, you know, um, but were they getting some of those NDP seats back? Some of those seats that, you know, conservatives would have had to take. So you have to kind of look at that, and that would be a way more detailed breakdown. I just want to summarize this. But nonetheless, the conservatives did show um, well at the polls in terms of the popular vote. And that's what's going to be interesting as well now when it looks moving forward at the leadership of the party um, and at Andrew Scheer. The other thing you have to watch about politics too is sometimes, or at least in Canada, is you can win the popular vote, but it's concentrated. So you were having a lot of votes in areas that you might not have been winning seats. And in other ones, you might have been winning your seats by landslides. So where you need, you know, so that's another thing to look at when it looks at where the popular vote and the distribution of the popular vote in Canadian elections is where were those votes being had? Um, For instance, provincially, uh, one of the absolute kind of star candidates for the conservatives who are in government here um, is Kelvin Gertzen out in Steinbach. Now it kind of gets swayed because he usually wins by an absolute landslide. It's a slaughtering out there. It's done. Like you can usually one poll can close and they're willing to declare him the winner. Um, it was no different than kind of, um, and looking at the other side of that, Minto, uh, the longtime uh, MLA there, was Andrew Swan of the NDP. Again, even there, the Conservatives would run strong candidates, but Andrew Swan was winning. 
And again, if even if you're getting close, that's that popular vote, right? So you're having those ones where you're crushing areas, but you're also doing well, but losing. And that's something to watch is, are you doing well and you're getting some close ridings or is it your, your one, your ridings that you are winning, you're absolutely crushing, but then you're not close in other ones. So those are things, those are those numbers to watch. Uh, when you look at the popular vote is were they winning, were they losing by a lot or were they kind of winning, you know, or were they winning by, you know, in the one in the in the conservative ridings that they were winning, they were absolutely destroying it. It was landslide victories, and then they were getting destroyed in ones that they were losing. Or were they winning comfortably, and also were they picking up momentum in those other ridings? And if that's the case, those are positives again for the conservatives. If you're the liberals, you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, well, wait a second. You guys could have you guys might have won the popular vote, but again, you're just extending your lead in the ridings you're already winning. Right, so your strongest ridings, more people might be showing up or you're winning a bigger percentage there, but you might not be picking up ground on those swing ridings or those other ridings that you need to win to try and take us out. All right, we're doing our job then. So those are the things to look at when you look at distribution of popular vote. That's something to pay attention for all of you out there that want to dive deeper into elections and kind of predicting elections and analyzing and breaking down elections. That's one thing you want to pay attention to. But moving on uh, from Andrew Scheer and the conservative leadership, the next one I would want to talk about here, are the, or the next two, uh, would be Jagmeet Singh and Elizabeth May. And uh, Elizabeth May has been the leader of the Greens since 2006. Um, and she's done a lot of good work um, at establishing that Green presence, um, winning seats for the Greens, uh, being the first green uh, MP, she won a couple of awards, I guess, in in Parliament, whatever it was. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, she was reelected, and they picked up seats now. So that's an interesting. They did pick up a seat, so now they're up to three seats, uh, and they have six point five percent of the popular vote, almost as much as the Black Quebecois, who, if I'm not mistaken, only run in Quebec. So um, keeping that in mind. Uh, they, they're right up there with the block who only run one in one province, but still, um, they really have firmly established themselves as Canada's fourth me or, you know, fourth or fifth major party. And the blood came back. Well, I've come back to establish, Hey, we are still a major party here and we need to be taken seriously as well. So those are two interesting, uh, dynamics, uh, going on there. The interesting thing now, when you look at the greens and you look at Elizabeth may and not a knock on Elizabeth may. But I've said, <coughs> pardon me, I've long said this about leadership, is sometimes leaders can only take you so far, right? You can only, there's only so far you can do before a fresh voice or someone needs to step in and take you to the next level. It might be a time maybe for a transition period, or maybe the Greens need to now look inter internally and say, hey, you know what? We're picking up... Um, some of the popular vote, we picked up a seat, we really can make a strong push here. So let's maybe find a couple of other superstar politicians or people to bring into politics that can help us grow to that next level. Because that next level now would be to challenge in that fourth place. That would truly be the next place uh, to challenge for the... Um, in terms of where they're going to sit in parliament. I don't, 
it'd be hard to imagine a, a, uh, a party going from three seats uh, all the way to forming government. I, I don't think that happens, especially for one of these still kind of somewhat viewed as alternative parties. Um, it would it would just be it would be a difficult sell in my opinion. But again, next election, could you be looking to see the Greens with a strong campaign with you know, and maybe it's Elizabeth May, maybe it's somebody new. Um, the right voice, the right presence, up that from three to seven, you know, three to seven, three to ten. You know, I didn't expect the NDP to do as bad as they did. I did not expect them to lose in the popular vote and uh, to lose as many seats as they did. They lost 15 seats under Jagmeet Singh this time around. Um, the from, from the looks of it here, my word, the entire West Coast just about uh, went to the NDP at least. Uh, but again, you know, they weren't able to pick up seats, maybe up North there, uh, on the Maritimes on the East coast, they didn't pick up in Quebec. They didn't pick up any seats. Uh, so that maybe that's where they had lost some seats. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, nonetheless, uh, the, the big thing here is that again, it's, it's, it's two elections in a row where the NDP have lost seats. They went from opposition, no longer opposition, to now they are they are not even in third place anymore. Now they're in fourth place in terms of seats in parliament and comfortably behind uh, the Bloc Québécois. The Bloc Québécois were, the I think, actually the big winners on the night. Uh, they tripled their seat count uh, going from 10 to 32 and, again, moving up a spot they like they they took out the NDP machine there, and uh, for Jagmeet Singh who be, who won his leadership not being in Parliament won his seat in a by election. Uh, this is going to be an interesting time for those leaders. For when you look at those big three leaders, Sheer May and Jagmeet Singh, where they sit going into the next election. Uh, I don't know as of right now. It's panic mode for any of those parties. I think I've given strong arguments as to um, Sheer and May having cases to stick around. Um, for Jagmeet Singh, it's going to be an interesting situation. The NDP um, have kind of always been uh, on that outside looking at I think what they did with Jack Layton there, um, in hindsight, could be looked at as a bit of a blip on the radar. Uh, I don't know that they're gonna that they're gonna have that momentum again. But again, I was very impressed with Jagmeet. I like him as the leader. I think he's a very charismatic, well-spoken, uh, articulate, intelligent uh, leader. Uh, so when I look at it here, yeah. So as I look at it here, Jagmeet Singh has a has a has an interesting background. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, he was a lawyer by trade. Um, so he, as I said, well-educated, successful guy. Him and his um, brother, uh, Guratan, uh, are both lawyers. They had their own firm together, Sing Law. He'd worked at a different uh, firm before that, uh, Jagmeet, that is. Um, and his brother is actually a politician in Ontario. And they're saying here on Wikipedia, has been described as his secret weapon. Uh, so nonetheless... Uh, when you look at Jagmeet Singh, uh, again, very you know articulate, intelligent, well-spoken, well-educated uh, politician. I think you know this is one of those situations where you know you do have to look at you know did he is is this an indictment of him? Is this an indictment of the party? Were they not really in it to begin with? Was this a situation where? 
um, you know, the NDP weren't going to be forming government. They weren't going to be challenging um, Trudeau. They weren't going to be challenging, uh, you know, for opposition. It was about uh, showing strong. And he did. And a lot of people thought what was going to happen. And I mean, his ideas are very socially progressive. Very left-leaning policies. Um, you know, like advocating for a higher minimum wage. Uh, he wanted to de the decriminalization, uh, decriminalizing uh, possession of all drugs, um, and wanted to eliminate several tax deductions to highest income So some of his policies aren't going to sit well with voters. Like, let's be honest there. <coughs> Pardon me. So when you look at that, I mean, you can be as articulate as you want, you can be as educated as you want, but if your policies aren't going to line up with the voting populace, it kind of becomes a situation where, well, this is the best we can, this is what you can expect. He will be a strong presence in Parliament. Uh, I believe he'll be a strong voice in Parliament. I think he'll do good work in Parliament. Um, and I don't know that his um, leadership necessarily needs to be called into question. It's more of a, a party identity at this point is what the NDP have to look at. The NDP federally are in a situation now that the Liberals were in um, pre-2015 of looking at where do we sit now as a party? What are our objectives? What are our goals? Uh, how do we position ourselves? And how do we go into the next election in that position? And how do we pick up seats, keep our seats, whatever it might be. A lot of, you know, the, the thing there uh, that some um, of the political pundits felt were if for the Sheer and the Conservatives to have an easier road to forming government, Singh would have had to have done a strong job at pulling away liberal votes. And I do stand by that. Uh, for the Conservatives who really have, have had a really good, strong shot at, A, they would have needed to win those other votes those i think those big three in winnipeg would have helped um because that was an indicator there of i think the satisfaction maybe in the status quo uh but you needed votes pulled away from the liberals by other left-leaning parties uh with that not happening uh again it's what allowed trudeau to uh maintain his government and good job on them they ran a successful campaign in terms of forming government <clears throat> so that those are the things to look forward to there and take away is I think moving forward, if I was to make some political predictions over the next, you know, to kind of looking towards the end of 2019 here, I don't see any true movement amongst five of those six leaders. I think the People's Party, I mean, they're going to, I think they're going to kind of disappear for a little bit here. They might come back. I don't know, but I think they they had they had a shot here nothing came of it so that's it uh but i think you're not going to see too much movement amongst the leaders of the parties i think we're going to kind of ride out the end of 2019 here it'll be interesting to see though going into 2020 how things shape up again may and the greens on the up uh, andrew Shear and the conservatives on the up Yves-Francois Blanchette and the Bloc Québécois on the up. Those ones are going to be interesting to watch as well. Can you, is it possible, er, possible, is it possible to capitalize on upward momentum? And these are, this is some food for thought that I'm going to leave you guys today. Is there a possibility and is it possible to capitalize on upward momentum as a party and change leaderships to increase that growth? 
That's what I'm wondering. And it'll be something to talk about. And I mean, as more things, as news comes up, of course, we'll talk about and cover it here on the Seems Legit podcast. But that is going to be an interesting thought. Have they gotten the most out of their leaders? And do we move on? Or can we ride this out for another election? Are these the right people for yet another election? The one to watch, I think the most out of those three is going to be Elizabeth May. Um, given those circumstances. Yves-Francois Blanchette, this I think is his first line as the leader, and he's done a great job. We'll see him around for the next one. May, it's going to be an interesting case. She's been around since 2006. She's been a part of a lot of federal elections now. Has the message grown still? Do you need a fresh message? Do you need a fresh face in as the face of the party i don't know it's no different than provincially here where james bedham has been the longtime leader of the uh provincial green party sometimes you have to wonder is it time for a fresh face with the continued growth and message there uh again andrew Shear and the conservatives do they feel like Shear is the guy that can take out um trudeau if given the opportunity again we'll see that is going to be reflected in those numbers. As I said, is it that they've shrunken the gap on the ridings that they lost? Or are they winning their strongest ridings by that much more and not making a dent on other ridings? Jagmeet Singh, I think this is more of an indictment of the NDP. I think this is more a telling and a projection of where people view the NDP and their platform in the grand scheme of it and... I think the NDP have some kind of self-reflecting to do. But nonetheless, I leave you with that. So let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. Uh, remember, if you're not already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. I thank you so much for uh, tuning in to this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Once again, this is our Canadian 2019 federal election recap. Conservatives have, I, sorry, liberals have won a minority government, uh, capturing 157 seats. Justin Trudeau will remain our prime minister. Andrew Scheer will be, once again, the leader of the opposition, uh, capturing 121 seats. In third place, uh, making the big jump, were the Bloc Québécois, capturing 32 seats last night. Jagmeet Singh in fourth place with the NDP, uh, having won 24. Elizabeth May uh, gaining a seat with the Greens. Uh, they're up to three seats, and the People's Party winning absolutely no seats, uh, capturing only 1.6% of the popular vote. So, I leave it with you there. I thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at the Dude Sunny D. Take care, and bye-bye for now.